1: All right, 12.04 p.m. on a lovely Saturday afternoon in New York. My name is the W. Welcome to Nick's Film School Study Hall. I believe this is episode 20. If not, I'll go back and fix it later. I'm waiting for my co-host Chris uh, WFUV play-by-play voice for uh, Florida Women's College Basketball. Chris Perciani will be here shortly. Shout out to everyone in the room, BK Knicks, Ben Kim, Garby, Gabe, and M. Um, you see the title of the show. We're going to spend the next 55-plus minutes or so discussing if Leon rolls fixed the Knicks and how we're going to do that. by looking back on the last 60 games that we've completed, and the Knicks have a record of 33-27, and we have 22 games left. So if anyone wants to come up, you can raise your hand. We'll bring you to the stage. If you are not able to come up but want to ask a question, you can leave a question in the chat. Shout out to the chat gang. I'm going to set that up right now. So if, you're still, if you want to, sort of in the lower right-hand corner, a little uh, chat bubble, you could uh, leave all the questions you want here. I'm going to actually type it in now. Uh, feel free to leave any questions or comments in the chat below there we go hit send on that all right so while we while we wait for uh chris persian um i'll start um so again the knicks are 33 and 27 it's amazing that i know it off the top of my head i've said that number about four or five times the uh, the last 24 hours the knicks are the knicks are all right you know I remember when after the summer of 2019, you know, Katie and Kyrie go over to Brooklyn, and good no, Lord knows, like we made that we dodged a bullet there. Um, but at the time, I was like, "Listen, the Knicks got their picks; they got some assets." Uh, the Knicks, I, I remember, tweet, I remember posting on my Instagram like, "Stay low and keep firing." The Knicks will be all right, and that was that was this that was. The summer of 2019, so June 30th, July 1, July 2, what have you, and three and a half years later, guess what? The Knicks are all right now. Granted, the when I posted that, that was under a different regime. That was the under the Steve Mills administration, and I actually believe that this um, that we're actually on the right track now. I have called Steve Bill a basketball war criminal. Um, and I will continue to do so. Uh, but what I will say is that when a new regime came in, and yes, you can quibble about how big went for, how, you know, the, the path they chose, if they should have tanked or traded this guy, traded that guy, what have you, right? But three and a half years later, from that fateful day in June, the Knicks again, 33-27, and 27, 16 in the East, with a whole bunch of young talent, a whole a, a a a lot of draft capital, no maximum contracts. And again, Julius Randle's contract is not a max contract. Uh, no max contracts. No a clean cap, um, cap flexibility. We're in a good place, and I think that. And I will say this: I will credit the front office because we will. I would have drove Julius Randle to JMK for my to myself last summer this past summer and picked up weather the ham sandwich sandwich got in return and been fine of it and they stuck to the guns and they said we can fi- we can get this player back to assemble to what he was the year before. now granted I didn't expect this because he's better this season than he was in at all I did his all NBA season two years ago. They did that. I mean not much has been said about us our, our ability to draft. Uh, we saw the – if it wasn't for a – I don't want to say a lucky, but a high-difficulty shot by Jose Alvarado last night in the Rising Stars Challenge, Quentin Grimes would have been the MVP, and he was the 25th pick in the draft. Another 25th in the pick in the draft, Emmanuel Quickly, who unfortunately, because of the pandemic, never got to play in the Rising Stars Challenge. He was also 25th. Uh, our starting center was picked 36, Mitchell Robinson – is one of his backups was the 58th pick of the draft. So we've, after, and I was saying this list in Washington, Mecca, the Knicks have four, the Knicks have four lottery picks in a row. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. And there's a strong possibility that none of them will get to a fifth year on this team. And the best one by far is RJ is RJ Barrett. And meanwhile, we may get better production out of the picks after like, when we look at the picks after our last honored pick, which is Obi Toppin. we may get better production um, as a collective out of picks 25, 25 and 58, which is insane. And I like to join. I like to invite my host, Chris, co-host Chris Pershyanin of WFUV Sports. He is the voice of the play, the color. I'm saying that You are the voice of Board of Women's College Basketball until um, someone tells me otherwise. Chris, good afternoon. How are you doing? Chris, good afternoon. How are you doing? Chris going once. Chris going twice. Chris going through to. Okay, maybe he's having technical difficulties, but I can't hear him, and he looks like he can't. He's not. He's not coming off of you. Um, so well, I'll just, I'll just continue to while we, I'll just, oh, okay. I'll continue to filibuster while you, uh, while you sort your, uh, you sort yourself out. Uh, want to give a shout out to the Raskins. Shout out to you and pod, Brian, most stuff in the building, the mecca, Jimmy, Charlie. Shout out to everyone in the space. Um uh, Wood in the building. Do we have, okay. So, oh, let's try, let's try Chris again. Let's see if this can work. All right, let's see if this works. Uh,
2: da, 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 da,
1: requests, yeah, Chris. For some reason, this thing, this thing is squeaking. Um, I think you might have to like leave and come back. But let's see if you can hear me, Chris. Can you hear me, Chris? Can you hear me? All right, Chris. I would, I would leave the leave the room. Actually, no, just go down to listen. Actually, I know what I'm going to do. I will fix this. This is live. Produ- this is live producing. So I'm just gonna, Chris. I'm gonna, yeah. There you go. All right, so that should work. Uh, and then we'll just bring you back up. In, we'll bring you back in a second. Da, 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 da. Okay, he's gone. Okay. In the meantime, where was I? Oh, yeah. So they draft well. And the other thing, and I think this is the underrated piece, and I know Chris will speak to this, is they, I believe that they made, listen, they're, they, they made some mistakes in their first year and a half, right? And I believe if you took when, when when Leon Rose writes the book about his time as the president of basketball operations, and if you give him a little bit of truth, Sarah, I think, he t- I think he'd tell you that drafting Obi Toppin was a mistake. Knowing what he knows now about how he was going to get used um, by the head coach, I think the Cam Reddish thing they might want to have over again. But um, I think on the most part, the front office has done a really good job, especially with the mandate that they got from the owner, who has basically said, "You know, we want the garden to be full and be fun again." Um, I think we're, I think that, I think we're moving in. the I know, I know, we're moving in the right direction. I absolutely know it.
3: Chris Persiani, can you hear me? Yeah, what's going on, man? At first, I had to uninstall Twitter because it didn't even say that there was a space going on. Then I got in here. And you were like, can you hear me? And I was responding, and I could accept and remove people from the space, but I couldn't turn my mic on and off. So Elon, clearly this is just all his fault, Um, and I'm sure this this space will disintegrate now that I've said that. Uh, But good morning (laughs) to all, or afternoon, I guess, technically, 13 minutes now, afternoon. So uh, what's going on, everyone? Um, It's nice to be here on Study Hall. I know – the episodes have been rather sporadic recently. Um, you know, like Sean always says, we, we don't really do episodes on game days. And then I've also – I just got back the other day from my third road trip in three weeks with and women's basketball. So we've both been all over the place, but nice to be here on Study Hall uh, talking about these New York Knickerbockers that won three straight contests heading into the break of All-Stars. Um And you you look at this Knicks team now, and I'm the one who suggested this title today. Usually Sean's in charge of the title, the making the space, this, that, the third. Today, I made the title of the space. And I'm going to read you guys a text that I sent to Sean as the lens that I want to look at this episode through, if that makes sense. Like, Sean, I don't know how much you've talked about, you know, the games that went on or whatever it is you want to talk about before we open the floor to people I just want to throw this thought out there. Yeah, go ahead. We'll,
1: we'll, we'll um yeah, throw the thought out there. I really t- I didn't really talk about the games. I more spoke about, like, what the front office has done. So get your thing off, and then we will go to the caller, the ice key on. I yeah, see you will be first up on the list.
3: The games individually are necessarily a huge deal. I feel like th- we got three quality wins where the Knicks looked like they had an identity and they looked like a young, fun basketball team. I think there's a lot to talk about there. What I texted on earlier is um, we were we were discussing the merits and the drawbacks of making the subject of this space a specific New York Knicks player, looking into their season thus far, looking into how they've been playing recently, how we project them to play going forward, the expectations, um, and all of that. And I was talking to him, and I said, you know, I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's only one guy on the team that is kind of like visibly really struggling recently. And that player has had two separate stretches of play this season that were good. One of them was just good. The other was all-star caliber. The rest is genuinely bad. I said, you know, I I told Sean, I said, we can take the time to talk about how if you, as a a basketball fan, as a basketball observer, as an NBA fan, as an NBA observer, um, and as, as it applies to a lot of the listeners in here as Knicks fans, if you take the time to look in the mirror, the New York Knicks currently have enough talent to make the playoffs and not as a play-in team, as a real playoff team. The team that was led by David Fisdale and was a lock to go 17-65 and 65 every year is now a playoff team and above the play-in. They're better than teams like Chicago, Atlanta, Indiana, Charlotte. A lot of these teams that were projected to be better than them soon because they had the talent like Halliburton and Ball and DeRozan that the Knicks did not. Um, Brunson, Randall, quickly, Barrett, Grimes, Robinson, Hartenstein, Josh Hart. The Knicks are making their case this season that they have a talented roster. They have stability. Whether you like it or not, this team has had the same head coach for several years. <laughs> and if you take a look at his record as the Knicks head coach, they've actually done a little bit more of that winning stuff than the losing stuff. And I do not like to push the or peddle the narrative that the status quo is good and everyone should fall in line with it. But I do think that at this point in time, especially with what this Knicks team has invested into this roster – that they've created a status quo that isn't exactly the worst thing to maintain for now until they begin to really push in chips. We saw them push in a chip now with trading. you know, Earlier they were a rebuilding team. They traded a first-round pick for a a, a shot at an upside player. Now they traded a first-round pick for more of a known quantity, and it made sense because they, as a team, have shifted a bit to being more winning. They're winning games. There's rapport between the front office and the head coach. The head coach did not have good rotations last season, was hated by many fans, and from everything I was told, there were at least a couple members of the Knicks front office that were ready to move on from head coach Tom Thibodeau at the start of this season uh, a couple games in once those double-digit leads became losses and those games began to pile up. And so... Thibodeau is still around, and there's stability there, right? And and, and also, the, the front office ha- wanted to change the rotations this year, and he went along with it. No one would say Tom Thibodeau would do that before this Nick stop. So, that's what got him fired from Chicago. That's what you know. Show he failed as a president in Minnesota. I feel like for so many years as someone who really enjoys getting the pulse of the Knicks fan base and speaking to intelligent Knicks fans and speaking to fans that don't have ludicrous wants or priorities or needs, they, they, not the Knicks fans that every deadline just want the biggest star available, not the Knicks fans that said they weren't going to be fans anymore now that the team missed out on Durant and Irving. When you poll the Knicks fans over the years, from when I was – 10, 11 years old, and beginning to watch this team because of Lynn's sanity, okay? That's how young I am. So I don't have that much to go off of uh, compared to a lot of the smarter people than myself in the audience here in this space. But it feels like to me that a lot of the years, that, in, in a lot of the years that have gone by, you've heard the following statement, and please correct me if I'm right, That the Knicks fans just want a competent team. They just want a decent one that they can go root for, that they know has room to grow. And it feels like the only room to grow was downwards in those years. Just competence. Just get us in the playoffs. We don't have to be a top seed. And I feel like I heard that for so many years. And the Knicks have that now. And they've actually built it organically. And I think that if you don't take the time to look in the mirror, you might just you know live through the good old days before realizing you're in them. And and I think that, you know, this Knicks team has a lot of room to grow upwards. But to me, and I'll use the Crosstown Brooklyn Nets as an example because they're the most recent example, okay? But to me, when the Brooklyn Nets had that season, that kind of Cinderella story, uh, dancing bench season where they were swiftly eliminated in the first round by a team led by Ben Simmons, um, it didn't matter that they weren't actually that good. They had the foundation needed, that superstars could look at and say, I want to add myself to that formula. I want to be a variable in that equation. I think, you know, (laughs) don't look now, but Brunson and Hart's camaraderie, Randall's leadership, and that's a genuine, real thing that the team has benefited from this year is Randall's leadership. Brunson kind of coming in and making Randall a leader, Forcing him to take on that role and kind of saying, "Hey, you know, I'm here to do a lot. I'm not here to run this locker room. You know, you're the locker room leader, Julius. You got to keep running your show." Um, is the best way of leading that Brunson could have done, in my opinion. I think if you if you look now, the Knicks have that competent, young, fun team, and they have a lot of room to grow from here as well. So, as opposed to making the topic of this show possibly the only player on the team that's struggling. I figured, well, good organizations, good teams that are historically good, like the Nuggets and Spurs and Raptors, they get leeway. Their star can disappear for a month and no one will talk about it because that team has uh, a precedent, right? New York Giants fans went into that playoff matchup against Minnesota feeling like they were going to win. And the reason was because the Giants have done it before. There's precedent there. And so when these things start to form, which I think is what the Knicks have going now, you see them, I think, and my real point here is I think you're starting to see the formation of the New York Knicks as one of those teams you hear mentioned as a a developmental hotspot, you know, Grimes and Quickly, 25th picks, um, things like that. This team is really shaping up. Their perception has really changed around the NBA. And so because of all of this, I raise the question, Has Leon Rose fixed the New York Knicks? And I will answer that. I will try to answer that question, and then we
1: will go to Keon, who's patiently waiting. Um, You know, it's funny. You brought up a good point about... The, basically, the benefit of the doubt, you know, if, if, if certain teams just started out for a while, you know, or it's not playing as well, then it's like, okay, it's no big deal. they have you a know? young
3: player in a slump. Like, did you see – yeah. I'll ask everyone in here right now. Did anyone see the Denver Nuggets catch flack from a single respected or credentialed analyst? for trading a first-round pick that was playing above his draft stock for two seconds? Did you see a single complaint? No. You know why? Because the Denver Nuggets front office is so successful that Tim Connolly was hired from out of it to run the Timberwolves. The Denver Nuggets front office is so successful that they get that cushion, that leeway. No one even dared to speak about it. And I think you're watching the Knicks begin to form that kind of reputation.
1: And I've always said that the one of the— the most underrated part of this of, of the job this front office had to do is to change the perception of the franchise. Um, like like well, like Chris said, you know, when there are rumors that we made the entertaining calls on our first on our late first round pick it's like, what are you doing? But when <laughs> but another you know, Bones Highland, we're good. That's fine because you know why they have, you know why because they have Jokic and they're good and they've been good for a while. So has um, he fixed the Knicks? I think. The, the interview that James Owen gave to WFN actually gave me a lot more insight into the job that this team, that this front office has to build a team and specifically the, the requirements and restrictions and the structure in which this, in which a successful team has to be built. I mean, he basically told you like, you know, listen, the garden is fun again. We're having, you know, the garden is fun. People are having fun at the garden again. They're a good team. That's what he wants. So. And that's what, the, and that's what they, and, and that's what we have. And, but we also have, but, and and this is where the, the biggest pushback, this is where I get the biggest pushback is as my son comes down to the basement to start making noise. Um, is that the, now nah, I not mean, just, I just my train of thought, but it's fine. Let's go to the callers.
3: Uh, the thing, the thing so, is that I knew where you were going with that. Um, it's, it's that you see, uh, you know, Oh, well, it's fine. You know, fine. If another team does it not fine. If the Knicks do it, um, yeah, that coverage is out there. I think you're just seeing the shift of the Knicks into a respected team. Now, me personally, I spoke to, this is just, you know, one example, right? But I spoke to someone after the 2021 season who knows people. And they said that, you know, when it came to the players they speak to across the league, when it came to the executives they speak to across the league, <laughs> that playoff fourth seed berth didn't really earn the Knicks much respect league-wide. And their perception didn't change much. It was the first decrapification of the New York Knicks. It was the – the it, decrapify is the best word, I think, and it's not even a word. But you look at what happened, and the foundation was blown – not blown up, but like live reset. They, they filled the tire – the flat tires of the car while driving. It. Um, and they did it without spending future draft picks, without trading away young players that are in their rotation that have shown, you know, enough promise to stick in the rotation, they still have mostly all their assets. And so that's what separates them from me to teams like Chicago and Atlanta, who have paid out the wazoo in terms of mortgaging their entire future to be a worse team than the Knicks are now. Absolutely.
1: Like to your point, like the, the almighty 4th C is, is referred to was the first step. It's, it's going to take a lot. Like it's going to take a lot. Like we know, there's a Knicks tax. The Donovan Mitchell trade showed us that we know we don't get the benefit of doubt. Um, We don't get the greats other teams do. But no, we just got to keep working. It's not going to happen overnight either.
0: Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: All right, let's go to Keon. Uh, So, Keon, over to the stage. After that, we'll go to my man, Nick. So, it's good to talk, side, argue with you. Uh, Keon, welcome to Nick's Film School Studio. How are you? Hello. Hey, Keon,
4: you're on. What's going on? Cool. What's up? Uh, Thank you guys for hosting this. This is my first time participating Um, in the spaces, but I. Big fan of Nick's fan, uh, film school. Or sorry. I watch both KFTV and Knicks Film School. Uh, but they're like my. How, how dare
1: you watch both? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Big, no, shout out to CP and Knicks fan
4: TV. Um, but yeah, you know, like, uh, so really, I joined today because this is a, the exact sort of conversation that sort of has been rattling in my brain recently. As someone who's been a sort of a Tibbs detractor in the past year. And it's also been a bit frustrated with some of the decisions by the front office. Um, But finding that (laughs) there's a culture here, um, one that maybe is hard for me to identify or had been hard for me to identify at parts of last year uh, with some of the decision-making and some of the performances that we put out there. Um, But I'm finding that there's a weird, (laughs) it's sort of reflective of New York in a weird way. Um, It's sort of like, when you meet someone in traffic and you both are trying to go the same direction, you have this weird fight where you're merging. Uh, but if you're stubborn enough, weirdly enough, um, and you sort of go forward with conviction, you'll find up. you end up in the right place anyway. Um, and I feel like Tom is one of those coaches who sort of has a very, like it's sort of preset. Like he's been telling himself probably the same five things for the past 20, 30 years. Um, and he's sort of manifested, um, this career for himself, but also like weirdly a culture and identity for this team, because it's reflective of some of the values that I think he sort of holds there to, which is, uh, putting your foot on the ground putting your feet on the ground and working hard, consistently fighting, um, and understanding that there's going to be ups and downs, but if you stay consistent in what you believe in, um, and you fight the good fight, like I said, you'll end up in the right place. Ultimately. Um, I'm more adaptive personally as a human being, but I see that it's paying off dividends and it sort of works with the players that the front office is starting to pair with him. Just Hart is an amazing pickup and one, and someone I wanted to pick up two years ago when he was on the market, essentially. Um, but to sort of flip cam reddish for, um, <laughs> for Josh Hart and see like the immediate impact of that, that's sort of like, Hey, like you're going to take else. That's part of life. Uh, you're going to make mistakes, and I'm not expecting perfection, but if we can minimize those mistakes and potentially maneuver shift from a mistake into a positive, into a win, that's all you can ask. I feel, me, personally, that's how I feel personally. That's all you can ask of a front office, like, competency, but also, like, a vision. And I can sort of start seeing the vision with someone like Jalen leading our team. randomly They're finding. the smartest his are the
3: people who admit what they don't know, right? I right. think that when you see... You know, in this era, a lot of front offices and coaches are moved on from quickly, and honestly, makes sense, right? We have more data than ever, and if they're really bad at their job, we know it. Okay, Um, but Tom Thibodeau last year was, you know, I've talked about this on this show. If you look at the metrics, if you look at at the end of the year, how many wins, like on average, each coach added or subtracted to their team. If you add five wins, you're a coach of the year. If you if you subtract five, you're fireable. Um, you know my negative three is really bad but not super fireable positive three is pretty good but you know you're not a top five coach or whatever Thibodeau was a negative five last year he was as bad pretty much on average for NBA coaches as bad as it gets on a year to year basis um, but Leon Rose stuck, stuck with him and, and I think part of that was because when you're working with James Dolan and you want to fire a coach bring in Johnny Bryant then if Bryant doesn't work out you probably won't get to hire a new coach before you get fired yourself um, I think a, a good amount of that had to do with Rose kind of playing the board and seeing, keeping Thibodeau out there as, as the best option for them long-term in regards to how he can stay in his position to keep executing on his plan. Um, so I, I can get that. I just also think that, you know, like you were saying, you know, the Knicks have this identity, um, and, and what they do is they they worked on the margins and they acquired second-round picks at a thin air, and they used those second round picks, seven of them to be exact, to acquire Jalen Brunson while also shedding off their veteran contracts that weren't were not very good. Um, then you look at you know this season, cam Reddish, some cost fallacy, they took him, used something else, combined them, and got something that could help them so it's it feels like you know this is two times now um between walker burks and noel and you know burks burks was just tips proofing the roster that was them saying hey you know we want quickly to get these minutes and he's never going to get them if alec burks is on this team he just kind of has to go um so i think there's a little bit of that there too but you see that move and you see how the picks that they used to dump those players they acquired themselves then they got brunson then yes they acquired Uh, reddish for a pick but you know the 19th pick and the next pick this year is a pretty hefty price to pay for Josh Hart the thing is that they're very likely going to extend him and so you know that changes things too and I just think that you know every time they do really mess up not only do they fix it but they like really fix it you know Randall didn't just stay he actually came back better than he's ever been and that's because they believed in him to, to keep doing that and they didn't think it was worth it to dump him for nothing or to attach assets right. and dump him. I think these moves in the moment can get people very heated. I think now there's kind of no other option, as they've played out over time, but to just look at them and be like, okay, I, I, the dots are connected. I get
4: it. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I just can't, you know, like, listen, I'm a skeptic. I, I find that on the spectrum of Knicks fans who just kind of want to burn it all down and really go – uh, and there are probably less of these nowadays than when I started listening <laughs> to Knicks Nick's, uh, Nick's School. But, you know, like, the people who want to tank uh, or, like, you know, like, just get the best pick out of this draft, given that it's a draft that's laden with a bunch of talent, supposedly, um, like, I get that perspective. I'm also, I also can sort of see the perspective of, like, hey, like, this is the most confident, I mean, competent uh, for front office we've had in years, in like 20 years. Uh, this is amazing compared to what we were seeing for a lot of my Knicks f- fandom, given that I started in 2003. Um, so I got to see some stuff, <laughs> but like mostly not great stuff. Um, So I can definitely get that perspective too. But I find that like, you know, there really is this middle space of understanding like, hey, like there are some good things happening on both ends, both on the court, but also from a front office perspective. And that there's probably a vision that we're not privy to that I think members of the front office are aware of. And even our coach might not be as aware of uh, like long-term potentially if, if we keep stability that long. Um, But like six games over 500 going into the all-star break, we're doing better than our 1920 season, which was sort of this weird miracle season in a pattern of really, really awful seasons for almost a decade. Um, Like, I just I'm just like seeing that there's a real identity that this team competes that they're tough that even without having sort of like this thing that the coach is known for this the coach is known for like a very stout defense particularly uh stout interior defense um and he's doing things that he hasn't done with other teams in the past with pieces that he hasn't had in the past he's trusting his players offensively to I mean Like, you know, I'm not going to gas it. He's probably not the most uh, creative or inventive offensive mind, but he's adapting. I see a coach that's profoundly stubborn, holding on, recognizing like the values that are most important to building the identity that he's built and that he wants for his team, but also being adaptive to the team, the members of that team and the needs of that team in a weird way. Am I a hundred percent pleased? No. But if, but if I'm 70, 75%, like, who am I to complain about, like, a team that is, to me, very clearly going in the right direction, even if the national media hasn't recognized it, or, you know, our own fans who are dissidents of, like, what they're seeing, like, literally seeing uh, take place in front of them. Um, but, like, yeah, man, like, season, are, I don't going to say I'm, like, optimistic because it's really it's been really hard to be a, as a Knicks fan for the past my past 20 years essentially um um I think you know like the front office has fixed a lot of the problems. A part of that is just consistency. And even if it's a mob identity, which it kind of is a mob identity with Leon Ross and uh, Dolan for sure is like, uh, like he yes, he gives total mob, uh, mob boss vibes and even Tom, like, you know, uh, so even if it's like a family business, which is like not necessarily reflective of the way that things are done across some of the more prolific front offices that currently exist, If it works for us, if it is reflective of, like, I think an old New York style or whatever, I'm cool with it. Because at the end of the day, for me, it's the product. Um, And kudos go to to the coach as well. Like, this is a coach that does have an NBA championship under his belt, albeit he was a defensive coordinator. We don't know what if that was his peak. We don't know if there's a version of Tom that, like, in the playoffs with the right pieces, executes at such a high level in terms of his defensive scheming that if some of the core players have the talent offensively to own that part of it and have the freedom to do what they do, as we let Luca go do whatever he wants, we let Kyrie go do whatever he wants. And because they can do it with an efficiency. That's why we give them kudos. James Harden's game is ugly. Sorry. That's, that's my opinion. But like, you know, dribbling for 20 seconds is, is to me watching that for years, it's not basketball to me personally, but the numbers don't lie, and the man damn near—he won an MVP, if I'm not mistaken—and was very close to winning a second one, if if I'm mean, if I'm not incorrect. So there is like, you know, like there. I feel like there's a space in the middle to recognize that, hey, like there are some really good things happening. This is the first year where I think we're really seeing like some of the foundations built over the past two to three years starting to actually like take set in a weird way, given that, like, you know, we're starting to see the real progress in terms of the draft picks. Not Obi, That was bad. Um, <laughs> not Obie, but... Yeah, Got to win the playoffs. Yeah, right, right. But, you know, I'm just saying, hey, like, you know, there's... I feel like whenever um, I'm listening to some of the podcasts or whenever I'm hearing some of the engagement with fans, like, you know, people tend to veer one way pretty heavily or the other way pretty heavily. And for me, it's just like... Hey, there's some positives go things going on. I-, I guess this is maybe a Jay Macri. Maybe this he's the voice of this often on the post-game streams. But, like, I just got to say, man, like, I'm just happy to see, like, a genuinely competent, tough team that fights. Um, and to see, like, moves that make sense. Josh Hart was the move. I'm glad we didn't get Sadiq. And I like Sadiq. I think Sadiq would have been cheaper. But you need to be responsive to what your team actually needs. And if you're really building a culture that is like, Hey, this isn't like, to me, I wouldn't go as far to say, this is a team that really values development at a high level. It's, we want the right players who can be professionals and are willing to learn and grow as we move forward with this team that is geared towards winning. Mm -hmm. And if the culture is winning, I'm good with that. Like, even if it means making small sacrifices on the margins and, and, Obi is definitely um, a product of that. And I feel awful, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. So like, I want to see Obi out there. I saw him put up 40 and 12. Like he has real talent, but what Julius offers for this team and what he offers our coach who obviously needs him and leans on him a lot for various sorts of things. It's just sort of like, I recognize that it it might be a different vision from mine, but that doesn't mean that it isn't one that's valuable um, and doesn't produce something that we can all be proud of. And that's my diatribe. Thank you for the soapbox.
1: Thank you, Keon. Um, yes, you're right. It's 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 a matter of not being done. It may not be done in the way that we all want it to be done, but the, it is working. And I'm a I'm a big believer in process over results. So I also realize that not every process will be the process that I like. But you know, if we get to the if we, the end game is to ultimately win a championship. So if we win a championship, you know then no one will care how we got there. Like Brian Windhorst says, winning a championship means you never have to say you're sorry. And that is the ultimate goal. Thank you, Keon, for your time. Thank you, Keon, for, for your time.
6: What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You've got New Year's goals and HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. Take control of your time and budget with delicious recipes delivered right to your door. Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how easy, fun, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant quality meal right in your own kitchen. With fast and fresh recipes, HelloFresh's latest line of meals features. Featuring robust flavors and filling portions are ready in less than 15 minutes. Enjoy tasting quality done quick with recipes like falafel power bowls, seared steak and potatoes with béarnaise sauce, or Southwest pork and bean burritos. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm not the greatest when it comes to cooking. Thankfully, I've found a life partner that loves her time in the kitchen and loves putting together these elaborate meals. Unfortunately, with her schedule working at a school all day and my schedule covering sports all night, we rarely have time to go to the grocery store together. Well, HelloFresh has made it possible for us to do all the grocery shopping for the week right from the comfort of our living room. In fact, just last night when I was editing the latest KFS pod, she was putting together two plates of Presto Pesto Panko Chicken with roasted potatoes and green beans. We were able to do dinner and a movie without even leaving the comfort of our own home. And this is just one of several delicious HelloFresh meal options with cook and prep time taking less than an hour. When you've got busy, conflicting schedules like ours, you don't have to go out for dinner and a movie instead it comes right to you don't hesitate head to hellofresh.com slash film school 65 and use code film school 65 for 65 percent off plus free shipping again that's hellofresh.com film school 65 and code film school 65 for 65 percent off plus free shipping hellofresh america's number one meal kit all right let's
1: go to nick nick Good to talk to you again. As always, yeah. whether it's on hoop spaces or here or Watching the mecca. Happy Saturday! How are you doing?
2: Happy Saturday, man! Out here trying to get the sweat, try not get dad fat. You know, regular life stuff. Um, listen, I so many of these spaces I think end up polarizing, and not to say that like their opinions are polarizing. I just think people as fans naturally polarize, and I think what's having Uh, maybe like an exacerbating effect on the internet chat fan base and the Twitter fan base, certainly, is that, like, it's really hard to take a strong stance on a team that's, like, playing pretty well. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a world beater. I think it's easy for fans to feel – to know how they feel about a team that's great and a team that's at the bottom of the barrel. And I think when a team – has, like, ascended from the dregs into, like, the middle and upper middle of the league, I I think some people just, like, don't know what to do. And some of that is, I think, having been bad for a long time. Um, But the truth is, like, you can always feel a way about an individual move on a team, right? Like, I have strong feelings maybe about, the Cam Reddish situation. I have strong feelings about the way they played after the fourth seed season and how they, you know, doubled down on the roster. But you know, when you take a step back and you track a team's progress, like if you were frustrated about the team not leaning enough on the young guys, if you were frustrated with the, with, the, with the rotation not reflecting the best level of talent, if you were frustrated with. You know, the young, gifted offensive players not being put in a position to kind of do their thing. Well, if you fast forward like a season and a half, and the team is being led by Julius Randle having an all NBA season, all NBA caliber season. And then a lot of young players, including their biggest offseason acquisition, which is roundly hailed as like the signing of the year. Now, uh, is he a perfect player? To, like, not necessarily. But I, I think sometimes like everything can't be an A plus. Like, you can't get everything you want as a fan. It's not two K, and you can't override the trades. So there's a certain level of like. I'm not telling everybody had a fan. I don't say like, oh, you got to root for the team. You don't got to root for the team. But I, I think one of the reasons people find themselves like, spraining AC joints reaching sometimes out of frustration for, like, a new argument or a frustration is because people start getting more obsessed with being right than, like, how the team is playing. You know what I mean? Like, well, well, like I said, they never should have done this two years ago, and now here they are, and they're still not doing this thing I like. So it's like, okay, well, listen, I, Tom Thibodeau is not my coaching preference. I He is – his offense is, like, antiquated and not innovative. I do think that when you end up in a real playoff series against a, in, in one that you could potentially win, I think his inability to adapt will cost them games and opportunities. But, like, broadly, I can look at a product and say, yeah, he's not the coach I want. And, like, maybe Leon Rose hasn't done everything I'd like, punting on too many draft picks or whatever. But when you look at the shape of the roster – as they kind of chip away pieces of ice and they're building the sculpture, like, the things that are coming into form are good. And, like, there's only two ways to get a superstar in the NBA now. There's only two. You draft them, or they decide they want to come play for your team. That's the only things that exist. Like, the days of oh, we've got the right GM, and he makes a smart trade and finds a superstar player and has the package. Of, that doesn't That's not really how it works anymore. Like, guys decide where they want to go, and they either force a trade to that location, or they go there in free agency. And often, what they actually do is uh, re-sign and then force a sign and trade to that location. And so, like, you have to either be drafting likely in the top five or seven being those bottom five teams to get a top pick to get the the wembys and the scoots and you know if you depending how you feel about boncaro whatever to get a top lottery talent or you have to present yourself as brooklyn did a couple of seasons ago as a place where it feels like things are happening and by the way when they got the superstars they fired their coach because that was not the coach for those superstars but like you make yourself like An advantageous and a welcoming landing spot by being competitive and having interesting pieces around. Now, you can easily go to the Brooklyn, we could spend all day talking about Brooklyn's failure, right? And like gutting the roster for James Harden, even though they had good complimentary pictures, whatever, whatever, whatever. But the only thing you can do is make yourself a welcoming landing spot. And in the meantime, you try to improve your stock around the league. Now, do I think that the broadly everybody's changed their opinion in the in the league about how they feel about the Knicks and how they're viewed. No, I think like more consistency is what builds that. Like more smart signings, more smart moves, more, you know, but but I do think you can easily look at the Knicks and like they're no longer a laughing stock. And that's a huge step up from where they've been over the last decade plus. And so to me, I like I, I, I hear guys and I like I'm, it's funny. I've been at ESPN for the last five years. I'm about to start a new project, so I suddenly have like a couple of weeks of like daddy daycare time. And like I listen to a lot of radio, podcasts, whatever. I listen to a lot of spaces, and you can you can hear people like trying to work themselves up into a froth and and yell about the Knicks and get upset or or get so hype. And I just think like I, a lot of that is effort because the team is not either of those things. The team is playing pretty well. And outplaying expectations at the outset of the season, and so uh, when it's not the way you'd like to do it, but it's being somewhat successful, like that's a hard thing for a lot of people to manage, like in their professional professional life and their personal life, and I think it's playing out among fans right now. Like, yeah, you wanted to get rid really of Julius Randle, okay, but he's playing like one of the best fifteen guys in the league. Like ah, oh, you didn't like Jalen Brunson because he's got terry, he's got he's T Rex arms, and he he can't get on the the Six Flags Great Adventure like roller coaster. But like, but he's cooking. And he's playing like one of the best point guards in basketball, one of the best guards in basketball. And so, you know, Mitchell Robinson's going out. This team's going to fall apart Well, Mitchell Robinson went out, and the team's got some of its biggest wins of the season. And and like, and so he's going to come back, and the, the team's just having a, a good year. And like that doesn't mean you have to do anything like fans out there don't have to do anything. But, but I do think when you are coming up with your analysis, when you are ginning up your takes, when you're getting in your space and you're creating your content, it it does behoove you, I think, to remember that the team's playing well, even if you don't like the people who are in charge of it. And the Atkinson thing is the perfect example. Atkinson got the, got the Brooklyn Nets, from a wasteland to a respectable, appetizing team for stars. And they brought in the stars, and Atkinson was no longer the guy. And, like, does that mean that's going to happen for Tibbs or not? I have no idea. But I, I do think that, like, people just wringing their hands about Tibbs and a coach's team for the next 10 years. It was that, it's like, I, I don't know. Like,
1: oh, we're stuck in the purgatory years. for the next five to seven years. It's like, you, like, do like, you have, like, if you think that, I don't know what to tell you.
2: So, we've been in purgatory, we've been in worse and been in sub purgatory for two decades. Like, I was watching the Shandon Anderson teams, the Howard Isley teams, and we were like Utah East. Like, you know, listen, I like the team has not been good broadly for a really long time. And so, this idea that, oh, we're going to be stuck as the four seed for uh, okay. And like, sometimes when you're a team in the middle, you trade for Kawhi Leonard and you win a title. And like, yeah, he doesn't build for the future or whatever, but the opportunity comes and like he agrees to a trade and you get him for a year and you hit it. Like there are, you can, you can take opportunities as they come and you can put yourself in position to them. Part of it's luck, part of it's preparation. I just, you know, we just got good. And now it seems like people are really nervous that we're going to be only good for the next three years or five years or whatever. And what I'd say is like, okay, like, Yeah, if the team is still like this in five years, that would be disappointing. But they're better than they were last season. And they're better than they were three seasons ago. And so, uh, you know, not all progress is linear, yada, yada, yada. I just feel like the content creation and the chat apping is not necessarily reflective of the whole fan base. And I get that. But when I do step into it, I'm like, guys... I don't mean, know. There's a lot of good things happening. Like it's not all good. I don't love it all. And I, I, by the way, Leon Rose not to be my guy and Tibbs not be my guy. But like I don't know. I can look around mm-hmm. and be like a lot of B pluses.
1: Yeah. No. I know. Listen. You are. It, it, what you what you have said. The thing that stuck out to me. The thing that stuck out to me the most was like you know about people more concerned about being right than being, you know, being happy or accepting the results, you know. Like, you know, Jalen Br- like you know, Jalen Brunson went from overpaid to he's a ball hog. Um Emmanuel quickly hates uh Cam Rennish. Um uh, now and now because Quentin Grimes and shout out to Quentin Grimes. Like yo, every time Quentin Grimes basically plays games that don't count, <laughs> he turns into a star. And I keep like, oh, it's his holding back. It's like to your point, like if you had told me four years ago that the Knicks would be thirty-three and twenty-seven and as firmly in the fixie that have an all and have an all-star and arguably two, we all would have taken it, right? So. um but you know, listen, some people are, are are addicted to being right. And, you know, like the old the draft thing, like I so I did live for yesterday and uh someone had said, uh, you know, it's proven that being, you know, going through the draft is how you win it, get a championship, you know, being at the top of the draft. And I'm like, hmm. So I looked at the I looked at the I looked at every NBA champion this century and I saw, how do they acquire their best player? And if I work backwards, starting from Golden State last year, well, that player was drafted seventh. The year before that, that player was drafted Giannis, drafted fifteenth. The year before that, look, they traded for LeBron. The year before that, they traded for Kawhi. The year before that, they had Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, was drafted second. The year before well, actually, then again, that was a that was a signing. Um then the year before that, that was LeBron. That was that was LeBron who left and came back. Uh right, like the Miami Heat, they traded for it the, they they their best player. They traded for the Mavericks. They drafted a guy ninth. The Lakers' best player in night in, in 2009 and 10, they drafted 13. There was a draft they traded. He was 13. Right. So at some point, we have to realize that there's more than one way to do this, and because the way because it's not the way we, we want to do it doesn't make it wrong. Um, I want to get to because we have a hard stop at one o'clock. I want to get to some of the comments in the chat. Nick, do you have anything you want to respond to really quickly? Thirty seconds.
2: One. Two, no, I'll be honest, three. my wife called uh oh. and okay. said, <laughs> it's except like the being right part, which is just a part of internet culture. And honestly, a callback to internet forums. Like a lot of what's happening on Twitter and in these spaces, like already got done on like the SOHH's and all hip hop's and various team message boards in like the early mid aughts because like nothing is new anymore. And so <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah. People
1: and- have always been Couch chasing is just that
2: the way they
1: do it is in different forms. now. Like, you know.
2: When you're a fan and you're, like, you're passionate about something, like, there's two ways to do it. Like, you enjoy – like, I'm a team of rivals guy. I like people who think differently than me. I think that's fun. But they're, like, the other part of it is, you know, it gets competitive. People, like, either can't play basketball, can't play basketball anymore, never could, like, can't – and, like, they find their competition in talking about sports. And so it becomes a, like – it becomes a superiority-inferiority thing when it's really like, you know, listen, guys, at the end of the day, and I'll say this because, like, I spent years working with Woj. I worked on the... I ran the pregame NBA show at ESPN. I've been in and around the draft process the last couple of years running draft coverage. Like, they really do have access to more information than we do. (laughs) Like, the coaches and the GMs and people around the league, like, they have more information. Like, we like to pretend that we have it all sometimes because it helps us, like, really... Feel confident about the things that we think are right and wrong, but the truth is, like, there's a whole part of this league, and I'm not going to call it an underbelly because that's pejorative. But there's like a there is a a bunch behind the barrier that like we don't get to see things that happen in locker rooms, mm-hmm. practices, training, things that go on in the off season. You know, they have an et- entire mm-hmm. set of metrics, and so like we are still onlookers. You know, and I think it's important to remember that like we're just. We are at the core of it, like, just watching a bunch of guys play a sport that we like in the laundry that we like.
3: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. We got a question
3: um, in, the uh, in like, the, the writing, you know. chat, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why that word just disappeared from my brain. But um, <laughs> I wanted to say, before I even read the question, um, thank you, Keon, and thank you, Nick, for coming up on the stage. I, I really appreciated what both of you had to say, and I, I just thought – you both brought a, a very nice, you know, like uh, not 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 just a nice argument, but it was nice nice talking to you guys. So so thanks for coming up. Um, Appreciate and, you and, and I'm a do, fan of the product. Also. So
2: you guys do a great thing, and I I, I check in on it. And I just figured Sean and I have. Uh have, like, come across each other in different forms of it. I was like, I got to come share the space and and check in, man. So I I appreciate you
3: guys. Hey, I I appreciate that. Thanks for coming and being part of the family. Um, To answer this question, questions from Altirad, have you guys noticed Johnny Bryant get more involved? Julius credits him for a lot of his improvements, mentality, and three-point shooting. Brunson – sorry, Bryant's also more vocal during the game and is whispering a lot more with Tibbs. Uh, That's pretty – you know, for someone who is – touts themselves as just a fan and whatever that's pretty uh good watching Altirad rad if you pick on up on all of that from home because yes uh as you know someone who's been around the team this season yeah johnny bryant is definitely very involved um i don't know if he's more involved than usual but i think he has now in year three of his arranged marriage with head coach tom thibodeau Really earned Thibodeau's respect, and and been put in a position by the front office to have that respect. You know, he's not just an assistant; he's the associate head coach um, during games now. Uh, when when there's a you know a call made that the Knicks bench doesn't like, Bryant is probably up there in front of the ref before Thibodeau. He's he's right there. You know, he's the right hand man on the bench. Um, I, I liken it a lot to last season for Fordham men's basketball. Kyle Neptune was the head coach. Keith Ergo was the head assistant. Um, but Ergo was the one doing all of the recruiting. Ergo was the one doing all the dirty work behind the scenes. Neptune ran the practices and coached the games. And you see Neptune went to Villanova, um, and their team you know, isn't doing too great this year. Fordham's doing better than last year. Haven't missed a beat. Because that guy and Keith Ergo is is their heart and soul of the program. And so I'm not trying to say that, if Thibodeau were gone and it were just Bryant that the Knicks wouldn't miss a beat because Thibodeau isn't impactful but what I am trying to say is that I think Thibodeau has really done a good job of impressing his culture onto the Knicks as Sean um, and as Keon especially was talking about earlier Uh, and and that Bryant is kind of the you know if if Thibodeau is the house Johnny's the furnace you know like yes the foundation (laughs) the everything that everyone does is set by Thibodeau but the, the guy you know a lot of that a lot of players go to the guy the players don't really talk to Thibodeau like that in their free time it's not he's not that kind of coach he never has been Brian is that guy um when the Knicks played the Jazz I was beat reporting that game for WFUV sports was an honor to do it um and Johnny Bryant spent about 10 minutes pregame just saying hi to everyone from the Utah side of things. You can tell he really has a lot of connections. He really meant a lot to players like Jordan Clarkson, who spent probably five minutes talking to him at half court. Um, Bryant is a big part of what the Knicks do. If, If Kenny Payne and Calipari could be likened to Bryant and Thibodeau, I think that's another good comparison. Yes, Bryant's an assistant. No, Bryant's not the head coach, but Bryant is the associate head coach, and his role has reflected that this season. I I would say, though, that it's more than just Bryant that's helped turn Randall's season around. Um, The Knicks do have someone who, I I don't know his exact job title, but I essentially see him as their, uh, and I mean this in the most honorable way possible. He is their team meditation (laughs) Zen master. Um, he is a you know sports psychologist. I do not know his name. I do not know his job title. This is awful reporting for me. But Randall hangs out with him a lot pregame. They meditate together, um, and they you know that guy has had a, a big role in what's gone on too. But yeah, Bryant is who showed Randall his own tape and said, "Would you want to be this guy's teammate?" Randall was like, "Oof, no." You know, Bryant is who told Randall he wants him taking and making more threes this year than he did last year. Randall's already achieved that and we're at the all-star break. So yeah, Johnny Bryant is absolutely one of the lead coaches of this team. He's not the head coach in name or job title or in actuality, but he is the associate head coach. And and that really does mean something. I, I believe there are a lot of other successful teams around the league that have had an older coach as the head coach and then a younger guy as the associate. And and the reason you do that is for kind of everything I just detailed, having that process um, of having a coach that is a player's coach that players are comfortable with. uh, And also the kind of salt and pepper, tough love guy um, in in Thibodeau. It's the, the, you know, it's a, it's a routine that's worked for decades and, and you know, it's, it's the one the Knicks are playing right now. And I think, The crowd is liking it, if that's the analogy we're going with.
1: No, absolutely. Um, I, so for OC writes out, a shout out to him. And I said I have a hard stop, so we're going to wrap this up at one. But um, yeah, like, there, I think there is a, there is a reach on people on the timeline to say, like, oh, everything good happens because of Johnny Bryan and everything bad has happened because of Tibbs. Like, it's just hyperbolic. But clearly his impact on the team, and like Julius said it himself, like, you know, in terms of what he's going to do on the court in terms of his play and what he does on the court in terms of his attitude and his leadership. And he's clearly been better. So shout out to, so shout out to Johnny Bryant for that. A uh, couple more comments. Um, oh, so OT Red is Alex from the KFS uh, postgame. So shout out to Alex. He said, uh, Leon Rose for executive of the year. I don't think he's going to win it, but that's – but – that's fine with me. Uh, Baby Yoda Waffle says, "Worldwide West f- fix the Knicks." I, uh, I I think this is something similar to what um, Nick and even Chris were saying. Like it's okay. Like it's okay. Like Worldwide West is for vibes. Like let's, let's let's just keep it a buck, right? So I, it, it's we're gonna say that because we don't want to get kind of to Leon Rose, like or um, the rest of the front office. You know, uh, Walt Perrin. And Frank Zanin and them um, and, and uh Brock Aller and Grossy stuff I mean, okay. I mean, all right, that's fine. You got that. Um, and then my man Dip Horace, shout out to Horace, um, says, Nick, I'm not fixed in my opinion. If I'm wrong, credit goes to Tibbs and Randall. Well, I'll say this. Um again, it t- t- depends on what you what your uh definition of fixed is. Like are they a championship contender? No. So if that's your if that's your version of that's what fixed means to you, then that's what fixed means. But as I said earlier, yeah, they, 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 a lot of things that, that this franchise had to rebuild includes perception, and change the perception is very, very difficult. I have to fight people off. Like, think about it: if the Knicks did what the, what the Nets did in the last two weeks, would everyone, anyone be calling them the plucky young team? And like, this is my favorite team. And oh, look how good a good a position they're in. No, we get flame six ways to Sunday. Um, so, with that being said. Um, perception matters, and we have a long way to fix the perception, and last year did a lot to undo like, the almighty 4C was a step in the right direction, like Chris said earlier, it was, it wasn't enough to really change the minds of front officers around the league, any goodwill we had two years ago got erased last year, and now maybe we've, so we took a step back, maybe a step and a half back, and now this year looks like we've taken two to three steps forward, and hopefully we'll continue to move forward, so um, did he fix the Knicks? I guess it's up to you, but I, but I do know for one, for one, for one that he's absolutely fixing it. All right, we have a hard stop. I was supposed to end that one. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, we will get you next time. I promise, um, Chris. Anything you want to say before we get out of here?
3: Thanks for coming, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right, thanks everyone.
1: Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Um, Julius Randle is plus a thousand in the slam dunk competition. They, the three point competition. Um, He's probably I threw plus seven, ten thousand in
3: the slam dunk competition.
1: Yes, he will be plus ten thousand slam dunk competition. Um, there will be, um, there will be. Uh, hold on one second. Yeah. second. yeah, so so group for uh so roof I threw seven dollars and fifty cents on Julius to win a three point
3: competition. Why not? Um, and you know, we got uh, Quentin Grimes in the slam. I think, I think it's him or Laurie, man. I, I like this trend of big man's, big men coming out and showing their thing. Um, yeah. Part of me wants to lean toward Dane, but I am gonna
1: throw some I'm throw some dollars. I'm gonna throw some dollars on Lori also. Alright, so um for uh Chris einen of WFUV Sports, and make sure you check him out. Calling the Women's Basketball. I am Sean for W. Thanks for listening. Go next, Knicks, Knicks nation, let's ride.